It is time for Around the 412 with Smitty and Tyler. Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. As Josh said, I am Tyler. With me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to go follow us on all of our social medias all the time. Um, what, what's the new one? X. That's what Twitter is. I don't know what to call it Oh, now. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, could, it could be called X. Uh, but we're, we're on there, Around the 412. Go follow us on Instagram, TikTok, uh, threads, if that's still a thing. That, that thing lived for like a week. Depending um, on what happens with X. How depending on what evolve, happens yeah. with X. Um, but yeah, and then go subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Leave us a review, um, and, and drop a comment. See it. Tell us what you think of the videos. What do you want to see? What, what you want to see us talk about as well as go check out the links in the description of each and every show. Uh, we launched year six of rocket around the four one two. We've raised over $25,000 with the help of all of you in the previous five years to help children for, uh, Christmas time in our local 412 slash 724 areas, as well as partnered up with the Salvation Army as well. And uh, so if you want to go check that out and read about the mission, you can go check out the link in the description. It'll be at the top of each and every show from now up until December, whenever we, we kick that thing off. Um, so yeah, just go check that out, read about it and share it if you can, because even if you can't donate as many eyeballs as we can get on it, that will help a lot. Yeah, absolutely. We've already raised $1,000. Thank you to one single person for that $1,000 donation, man. Mike in Illinois is insane. Going to be able to take care. Um, Whether that goes to, I mean, it's hard to say. I don't know exactly where specifically that $1,000 is going to go to, but to put it in perspective, in the past, that's about how much we spend on one family. So he's essentially Mm -hmm. taking care of Christmas for one entire family or whatever a handful of kids from the Salvation Army, however that ends up getting uh, divvied up. But I'm very excited about this year. I know the prizes are going to be great. Like just, you know, I think I was pretty open about the situation last year with myself. I wasn't working at Christmas time. So I like 100% take responsibility for the fact that the prizes were not up to snuff. When you look at past years this year, we're coming back. The prizes are going to be great again. Make the prizes of around the 412 great again. That's what, that's what I'm rolling with. <laughs> we're going to start selling um, the merch. <laughs> Yeah, everything custom designs linked in the description. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really excited about this year. I'm really excited about a lot of things, including the Steelers being back at training camp. It is that week. It seems like it flew. Like I feel like it was just yesterday we were sitting here doing the live draft show with Sarge and Drew on here, um, and Jake joined us for night two. And that was no, that was three months. By ago. the way, one of my favorite nights of the year. Always absolutely love those two nights of doing the draft stuff. Um, but here we are, Joey Porter Jr. second round pick does get signed in time <laughs> that seemed like it could have potentially been a headline but how weird is it now that that was taken care of to go into camp and it's like there's no drama like no one's starting on the pop list there's nobody holding out like everything is good right now in Steelers land it almost feels super weird now I'm almost like waiting for something to happen to change that like to stir that up I actually tweeted about it it just seems a little bit too quiet on the Steelers front yeah, it's it's like we're not even a fan of the Steelers going to this training camp. I mean, we're not even waiting for an extension because Highsmith already got that done. There, mm-hmm. The past couple of seasons, we've had some some large extensions we've been waiting on too. It it is kind of refreshing. I'm not gonna lie because we we all know how the Steelers have been over the past several seasons. Whether you're going back to 
um, the the Lev Bell and a, all the AB stuff, and then you have like over waiting for a TJ contract, waiting for a Minka contract. Deontay this Johnson. year we really, we, yeah, yeah, and th- this year we don't have anything. We we are going into the season. I wonder if this is how like normal teams feel whenever they they start training <laughs> camp. Like there's <laughs> nothing to be. No, I feel about. like it's more abnormal right now the way that the Steelers are because I feel like you normally have like a contract that you're trying to resolve. I mean, look at right now. There's like three superstars in Zach Martin, Nick Bosa, and uh, Chris Jones of the Chiefs. Like those guys are all holding out right now, and like look at those teams. Like those are teams with with pretty high aspirations this year. Um, yeah. And I just, so I feel like the Steelers right now with what we're dealing with, with it being absolutely nothing going on, that's more abnormal than having at least some type of, whether it's contract dispute or, or some storyline going into training camp. The fact that they took care of the Highsmith extension and this Joey Porter Jr. thing in the last week, which by the way, the Joey Porter Jr. thing, like we always knew was going to get done. Was it was just super really tricky. It was just weird because of him being that 32nd pick and normally that being a first round pick, there was like a discrepancy on how much of that, that fourth year would get guaranteed because normally second round picks don't get as much as he got, which I mean, makes sense. He was the 32nd pick of the draft. So he got 70% of his final year of his rookie contract fully guaranteed, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, to me, it should be a hundred percent like anyway but uh here we that's a different discussion um so you know glad to see that that got done and he can get on the field we expect that he's going to be on the field quite a bit i want to talk about that i saw you know we had been kind of touching on like that's gonna be one of the intriguing things to watch with the secondary how they deploy them um especially when you get into like nickel and dime sets joey porter jr i think is going to play and he's going to play a lot and he's going to play early on patrick peterson played zero snaps last year in the slot yet we're just like assuming that he's going to be the slot corner for this team when they go into nickel and dime i like i I don't know what the team is envisioning right now um but again like i mean i've I've said it for months i just don't see how when you look at the state of their cornerback room their best isn't joey porter jr and levi wallace on the outside with patrick peterson inside i just don't see a different way when you look at those cornerbacks what do you mean? They have veteran Chandon Sullivan to go into the slot. Obviously, the snaps mean that he's good. No, I agree. <laughs> I, 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 I don't see another way around it. Um, and even if it takes Patrick Peterson a little bit to get used to being in the slot, I still think that's worth it over just putting Chandon Sullivan in there just because he has the experience in the slot. I would rather have the best talent out there than the guy who has played the position the most to be completely honest. Maybe that's a backwards way of thinking about it, but I, I, I think someone as skilled as Patrick Peterson and, and has the the veteran knowledge of Patrick, Patrick Peterson would be able to figure it out quickly, As and I would be more okay with the little bit of growing pain he could have at the position, especially because if he if he can figure out in training camp, then that's fine, and in the preseason too. But I, I Well, he's I done don't... it in the past. It's just not last year, and it's only like 21 snaps over the last two seasons. So it's asking him to go back and do something he really hasn't done much of since Arizona. Yeah, and we're talking about him doing it full-time. That's why I mean like it's going yeah. to take an adjustment period for him to be basically a full-time slot corner if you're assuming that Joey Porter Jr. and Levi Wallace are going to be your outside guys. But I do think, and I agree with you, that that is your best secondary um, with, with those three guys in those positions. Um I, I, I don't think that guys like Chandon Sullivan are going to bring much value. I'm sure they're nice depth pieces, then and they can go in there in a pinch. But based especially off of last year, that's not a guy you want in your slot. <laughs> he wasn't good. Um, so 
Yeah, I, I think that Joey Porter Jr. is going to be playing a lot. I, I think that he's easily – like, I think we talked about this whenever the draft was over. We were talking about who we think could be starting first um, on, on, like, game one, whether it would be, it would mm. be uh, uh, Broderick Jones or Joey Porter Jr. And we both said that we thought that Joey Porter Jr. was the easier pick to say that they're going to start from game one. And I, I, I think that's because you, you look at the positions that they have, the people that they have at the position of corner, and then you look at like tackle, it's easier to see how Broderick Jones is going to be a backup and Joey Porter Jr. is the starter. I think, I think it's the, the position of need for the, for the talent that they have right now. That's the easiest one. So Joey Porter Jr. definitely going to be the starter in my book. Yeah. I mean, and you know, we know that Mike Tomlin is going to make the rookies earn it. Um, but to your point, Dan Moore Jr. is opening up camp as the number one left tackle, which we fully expected to be the case. I think the question is going to be like, how are the rep? Is it like a 1A, 1B? Or is it like Dan Moore Jr. is clearly right now the starter and Broderick Jones is running second team reps? Like, I, I think it's going to be very telling, not just how we start, because that's is whatever, but as we go through training camp to see how it progresses, to see if it gets more close to like a 50 50 split. Um, but yeah, I mean, Joey Porter Jr. Let me throw Corey Trice in there too, just with the state of the secondary and the, that cornerback room, just because I look at him very similar to Joey Porter, just in terms of like, if you were building cornerbacks, those are probably what they look like. And Cincinnati had a player last year, Trey Flowers, who they used as kind of like a, because teams a lot of time, and you're going to see the Steelers do this with Fryermuth this year, especially with getting Washington, flex their tight end out and almost use them as like a slot receiver. Flowers and what I think Corey Trice could do for this team could be that like eliminator within the slot for tight ends. So that is why, you know, it gets my mind going. And now all of a sudden I do see a path where you get Peterson some snaps on the outside. I think you could see him play some safety. It's like, I think he is going to move around. I mean, he's talked about it, but I fully expect that to happen. But yeah, I think Corey Trice, you know, depending on how camp goes for him, I, he looked really good at mini camp, but you know, it, it was football in shorts. Now that we're getting pads on, it's yeah. going to be a little bit more telling. Yeah. Um, I think he could have a role as well within this defense it, 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 because of, again, I keep going back to it, but like I looked at this cornerback room, there's opportunities to be had there. Yeah. And I mean, you're going to, when you look at the pedigree of Corey Trice, a lot of people would say pedigree. What are you talking about? He was a late round pick. Well, this is a guy that was almost consensus a top 100 player in the draft prior to his injury. If you're just looking at like what he did when he was on the field, this this was a guy that was going to be at least a, a fourth, if not a third round pick. So I, I, th- I think for sure Corey Trice could see some playing time, and he has that similar build, similar to Joey Porter Jr. And it was clear, and we talked about this when they drafted him, that the Steelers had a vision for the type of corners that they want in their defense right now. When you look at what they got with Trice and Joey Porter Jr. and Patrick, bringing in Patrick Peterson, it's very clear that, that they want tall, long corners with that are very athletic. And so, yeah, I, I agree absolutely that, that Trice could have have a play in the cornerback room. Um, like I think that him, he he'll be to me the first one off the field. If if you're having Patrick Peterson in the slot. Outside corners as Levi Wallace and Joey Porter Jr., he's the next man up on the outside. Yeah, so he's gonna be battling with like a you know a James Pierre, I guess, to kind of be that that next guy up on the boundary. But I just to your point, I guess it is kind of weird to throw the word pedigree around with a seventh round pick. But 
you know, I had him as a, as a round three player. I think a lot of people had him going within that range. I was, you know, if they would have taken him instead of Washington at 93, I wouldn't have questioned it. And then I absolutely wanted him with that Herbig pick at 120 or whatever it was or something within that range. No, they moved down from 120. So wherever they ended up picking Herbig at, um, 131. I, I, that's something, yeah, 130 something. But that's where Instead I would have been him cool at 241 him. in round seven. Yeah. I mean, it's like outside of Spencer Anderson, because I think Herbig is going, I don't expect to see him get a ton of snaps on the defense. I think he's going to play a lot on special teams. Outside of like Spencer Anderson, I think this rookie class, while maybe not like right away for all of them, I think they're going to have an impactful 2023, a lot of these guys. I think Spencer Anderson is really the only one that I wouldn't expect to see. I think if you do see him, you know, something went pretty wrong on the interior of that offensive line. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because it's Spencer Anderson and no shade to him, but we were the, we were on here. Like, who is this guy? We don't know who they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, I looked into him and I was like, okay, like th these are the types of guys that get drafted here in this spot because he's played all five spots at Maryland. So makes yeah. a lot of sense. But, but yeah, the, to your point, the, this Steelers rookie draft, I said it at the time on paper, it's arguably the best draft that we've seen in our lifetime. And then you look at just those first four picks Maybe Darnell Washington is not going to be the starter because we still have Pat Firemuth. But in his own way, he's going to be a starter, in my opinion. But because in certain block, like if it's a run blocking situation for a tight end, he's the guy to go in there. And so when you look at him and then you look at Keanu Benton, Joey Porter Jr., and Broderick Jones, those are four guys that if they're not going to be a starter are going to be impactful right away for the Steelers. And we haven't really had a draft like that. There's been like one or two guys in an entire draft class. But we're talking about like five or six guys that whether it's going to be offense, defense, or special teams are going to have significant playing time from game one, which is pretty significant for a class as a whole. I'm going to go on the record right now, and then we can look back at the end of the season and see how close I was. Darnell Washington is going to play somewhere between 35 to 40 percent of this team's offensive snaps. I think it's going to be like because he's the Nance only one that can block. Yeah, it's gonna be like Vance McDonald when when Ebron was here. Like Ebron was considered the starter. Vance McDonald was still playing like forty percent of the snaps. Yeah, no, so you, that's, that's I, I think you're absolutely right because that and that's what we talked about pre-draft is that if they're gonna address tight end, it needed to be a guy like Washington because they don't have a tight end that is the clear-cut blocker right now. They have pass catching tight ends. They don't have run blockers. They got it with Darnell Washington. So I think it makes perfect sense. There's no need to have Frymuth in there in a in a run situation where you know you're running the ball. I don't think that there's a need to have Frymuth on the field. Yeah, and please don't come into the comments about, you know, Pat Frymuth being the fourth best pass blocking tight end. If he's blocking on a on a passing play, I'm already upset. I think it's per PFF, which I, I, I'm i not even debating that. I'm not debating that he's a good pass blocker or not. Why is he pass blocking instead of running a route? <laughs> well, that's, well, like, that's, that's, my, yeah. that's what I mean. Is like If he's not on the <laughs> field to, to run a route, then what's he doing? We already exactly. said that he's yeah. the best slot, slot receiver on the team. Yeah, I do. I, I'm... I'm excited about I'm, I like keep having to remind myself that Allen Robinson's on this football team, but you yeah, know, we get Calvin I, Austin I think, this year. Yeah. Hope hopefully. Um, but I think with Allen Robinson, I don't think he's to be a high volume pass catcher. Like, I mean, I mean, I feel like that's pretty easy to say, cause I don't think there'd be a high, you know, pass volume offense to begin with. And there's only one football. He's probably like the fourth option in the pass game, but I think he, I, I Okay, you know, I already kind of went out on a limb and threw out a percentage for Washington. I think Allen Robinson's got a shot to lead this team in touchdowns. 
and it's only going to be like somewhere eight to 10, but I think he's going to have like a third or fourth of his catches be touchdowns. Hmm. I mean, I, I, it's going to be like Jericho Tauchery in whatever year that 2000, (laughs) just 12, he's he's not going to get a lot of touches, but they're all going to be very significant is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. All on like third down or for a touchdown. I could see that. And it's going to be funny because Deontay is going to lead the team with like a hundred and a hundred and twelve receptions and two touchdowns. You know what? I, I didn't tell you about this. I know you, you love when I spring segments on you, but I do. to wrap up the Steelers conversation, we're going to have a maybe only one time segment. We'll see if I can come up with ways to keep integrating this. Okay. We're going to do beefies better thans here. Better chance of here. All right. Five things Steelers related that there's a better chance of happening. I'm going to give you two options. You pick which one you think has the better chance of happening. All right, let's do it. Mike Tomlin, coach of the year, or TJ Watt, defensive player of the year? TJ Watt, defensive player of the year. It's already happened in the past. It's already happened. So, I think yeah. I think Tomlin has been snubbed in the past multiple times. I, I, I think there's higher likelihood of TJ winning it again. Okay, pay attention to the second part of this because it's... Okay. It's a little bit intricate. Not okay. really, but like, so Najee leading the lead in rushing yards or George Pickens leading the lead in receptions of at least 20 yards? George Pickens leading the league in receptions of 20 yards. Mm, okay. The reason I say that is because I, I think that with Jalen Warren in the background, you're not relying as in a Najee as much as you normally would if you don't have a good running back too. Um, and I just think that looking at some of the, the rushers, a lot of teams really rely on their running backs. And I don't think the Steelers are necessarily one of them. I do think that they're going to run the ball a lot this year, but I don't think they're going to rely just on Najee to run the ball. And when they do, I still think they're going to throw more than some other teams will. Like, I, I, I don't think that even in the division, I don't think that Najee will, will rush for more than Nick Chubb will. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Minka in interceptions or TJ Watt in sacks? TJ Watt in sacks. Okay. Is Minka going to get like 20 interceptions? No, no, no. I'm saying, oh, I'm sorry. Minka leading the lead in interceptions. Oh, leading the lead. Watt leading the lead in sacks. Yeah. Uh, uh, same answer. Same answer. Okay. Kenny Pickett leading the lead in fourth quarter or game winning drives or Cole That's Holcomb right. leading the lead in total tackles. Um, it's tough because I haven't seen Cole Holcomb play a snap for the Steelers yet. I'll say that the the Steelers are, or that Kenny leading the league in fourth quarter comebacks. We saw two late in the year last year. We know he that's has the that only, rhythm that's to be able what to I'm do basing it. The question off of yeah, yeah. We know he has that rhythm to be able to do it, and I feel like a lot of the Steelers games, like maybe the offense isn't quite going to take the step that we think they could and put up a ton of numbers. So they're going to have to have those late comebacks and the defense is going to hold other teams to, to a low enough points to make it happen. All right. And this is the last one Steelers win the division or Steelers finish below 500. I, man, this is tough. Cause that is such a huge, you're basically saying they're going to win the division or lose division. That's basically what you're saying. Um, how unlikely it may seem, I think that they have a better shot of winning the division than they do of being below 500. Okay. 
I feel like that makes you relatively high on the Steelers this year. Because, I mean, eight and nine obviously would mean that they were under 500, but to win the division, that would probably, you would think, take 12 wins at least, 12 if not 13. I mean, yeah, and I and I don't I don't know if I'll necessarily when we do a season prediction predict them to go that no. high, but out of the two, right. I I I am high on the Steelers, and I think a lot of it is based off what we've talked about just this episode, like the draft class that they just had, um, some of the free agents that they brought in. I I, I think that I'm I'm optimistic about what the Steelers are going to look like this year, and a lot of it is going to boil down to to how Kenny Pickett can progress in year two. Um, that's. That, I think, is what is going to make or break the Steelers in 2023. So it'll be fun to watch that. But, yeah, I think that there's a better shot that they win the division than them going under 500. And especially Tomlin's still coach. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Now, that, I saved that one for last because I felt like that one was uh, was the toughest one. Good one yeah. to end on. All right. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, some – we'll do the Penguins. We'll do the Penguins next. We'll talk some Pittsburgh – always so well planned on this show so we'll be right back to talk some pittsburgh penguins hockey <laughs> i don't want to just you know get on here every single week and bore everybody talking about the same old topic of eric carlson but there is one piece of information as it relates to the Penguins on this front. If you want to, if you want to say it's news, um, Cindy Crosby and Chris Letang have given their blessing for the Penguins to acquire Eric Carlson. Now, Cindy Crosby, I don't think it necessarily means as much, but it's good to know that like Chris Letang, who would actively be taking a back seat to some extent, whether it, I don't know that it's necessarily on the top, you know, defensive pairing. But at least on the power play, you would think that it would be him taking a little bit of a backseat to Eric Carlson. Um, it's good to know that at this stage of his career, Chris Letang is willing to do so. You know, he's not like one of those. He's not going to pout and, you know, make a big stink about it and say, no, I don't want my team to acquire this guy. Step on any toes. Um, so I'm still hopeful that this ends up getting done. It was good to see that, you know, two of the franchise legends have given their blessing for the team to acquire him. I agree. Um, you know, I, I think that this is, uh, I wonder if this is the way of them saying like, we want this to happen. Obviously the, like giving your blessing and, Maybe, and yeah. saying that you want it, talking it through the media. things, but yeah, talking through the media, maybe this is their way of saying like, we want him here. Um, but I, I think that it is interesting and it's, it's cool that Latang is able to do that because you don't know what it'd be like whenever Carlson could come to Pittsburgh. Like, is Latang going to still be the number one power play guy? Is he going to be the top minutes guy? Is he going to be in the first pairing? Like all of that could change, but the fact that he's okay with it, um, I, I, I think that that's uh, says a lot about Latang and the person that he is. But also, I that would make me excited for how the Penguins could deploy both of them. Um, that would be really fun to me. Now we're just I, waiting. I for wonder the, though if damn maybe Latang. Maybe Latang's looking at it as this is a way to get some weight off of his shoulders. Like we're looking at it like, you know, from a pride perspective, it's good that he's giving this his blessing. <clears throat> but maybe it's like the fact he wants it to happen because he wants to play less minutes at this point in his career. Now, with Chris, I kind of find that hard to believe. I mean, I feel like he wants to be out there 60 minutes a night, but we really don't know. You know, we don't know what his motive is or what he's looking for. Maybe this is a way to trim him down to, you know, more like, 22 23 a night or something like that as opposed to 27 28 
that's trimming down too. Um, no, I, I agree. I, I, I think that that would be a good way to really, um, I'm not, not close out Latang's career, but like start to help prolong it essentially. I mean, he's got five years left on that extension. So Hey, he, if, if he wants to make it through that, he needs to be taking care of that body. And what a better way than to bring in a guy like that um, to, to take some of the load off for now. Years, at least, yeah. Yeah. For, for at least four of the years. Um, but now it, we're just kind of in a staring contest. So that's the way I described it the other night. Somebody is like, we are in a, I think that the, the penguins, the sharks and the hurricanes and who knows, maybe even a third team are just in a staring contest. And we're just waiting for the first person to blink. I, I don't think, I, and I wonder, I wonder if like how, how many offers have been thrown out there, if any, like obviously I'm, pr- I'm sure the sharks have, have uh, told the teams what they would like to receive, but I'm wondering how many counters have they actually had, or if the hurricanes or penguins or whoever has actually given a counter offer yet and, and actually said one. Cause I think, I feel like if we did, we would at least know about it or the, the ball would seem to be rolling a little bit more than it has now. I think everybody's just kind of like holding their breath and waiting for something to happen, waiting for to see who makes the first move. That way can they, they can judge what they're going to do. Um, I, I, I think that the the Penguins should just stop waiting around and just do it first off. I just think I think they should just do it. And I'm not saying this because, you know, we're Penguins fans. I don't. I just don't think that anybody else is really that serious about it. Like, I think the Hurricanes are in They're it. Unserious just like, programs. I, I think the Hurricanes are kind of looking at it similarly to like Brent Burns, where it's like, hey, if you just want to give him away to us, sure, we'll take him. I think Seattle, from like a financial perspective, is really the team that it, you know is, makes the most sense out of them. They wouldn't necessarily have to even really like shed anything. I know that they just got. Uh, Vince Dunn back on that raise, what, four years, seven point something, a pretty nice raise for him, but he had a really nice year. Um, Toronto, you know, they brought in Klingberg and they got their own, you know, contract thing still going on with Nylander and then Matthews coming up that they're trying to figure out. I That one's hard to, for me to imagine. And unless there's like another team that hasn't been thrown out there, that's it. That leaves the Penguins. And I know that right now from a cap perspective, it doesn't look like it's feasible, but I mean, they wouldn't. St- they there wouldn't be this level of interest going on if they didn't know that they could make this work. Like my are- magic number, and of course this this could this could change. My magic number is forty percent. If you can get San Jose to retain forty percent of the salary, then that means what if contract- it's even collectively? Like oh, it could be collectively too. Yeah, it could be yeah. it could be spread out. But I think the magic number for me is forty percent. That means the Penguins would be paying him six point nine million dollars per year. Nice, and um, I, I I think that you would be able to make that work with the cap. I think you'd be able to bring in a third team on that. Now, the I think the harder part outside of getting them to retain salary is what are they going to want outside of uh, outside of that? Like what what's what besides a like a first round pick? What's going to be the other stuff involved? That's the thing. It's like the consensus seems to be that they're not getting anything close like i think a deal's done by now if they have that on the table i just don't think it's there now you know greer could just say okay well then we're not moving him but if we don't get the return that we want that could get really ugly i mean carlson has requested a trade pretty much said that he expects to not be in san jose next year he's made it seem like the ball's totally in his court in terms of where he wants to play which i don't know if you paid attention to that interview at all or saw any snippets from it but he was like talking about conversations he's had with teams and he's trying to make the best decision for him it's like is is this guy a free agent 
Is this like Lamar like, last year? <laughs> like, but before his extension, they just like gave him the they gave him the free will to openly talk to teams. I just think like when they're not going to get the return that you would think they would get for the type of player that we're talking about because of what his contract looks like, the trade demand that he's made, like the fact that it doesn't seem like he's going to play in San Jose. They just they don't hold many, if any, cards right now. And another thing that's working against them, and this is a really good point that I heard brought up by somebody, is the salary cap has not increased the way that people like they obviously brought in Carlson and he's been making that money. That was before COVID. And it kind of like made the salary cap plateau with the league. And you're now seeing guys sign, you know, these, these extensions, like these younger defensemen that are like the next, you know, really good players, Kale McCarr. Um, who else has recently signed an extension? Like Miro. Heiskanen, well, all these like these players. Younger, no, the, you know the defense uh, Hughes in Vancouver. I know, I know, like, I know who you're talking about. I just thought it was fun. Kale McCarr. Yeah. Uh, who else is signing <laughs> these extensions? The, the <laughs> that next wave of young defensemen. They're all getting like eight to nine million, and you got Carlson making eleven and a half. It's just it's harder to move that. So I think if you can, that's why teams are trying to get them to retain to make him, you know, an eight-ish million dollar player at the very least, because then it's more palatable but they're still not going to get anywhere close to the return that you would think a player like him would warrant. Here's, here's what I think needs to happen though. I, and I think everything that you said is correct. I think that San Jose is not going to get nearly as much as they think they're going to get, or what some people would seem to think they're going to get from an Eric Carlson trade. But I think that San Jose doesn't realize that yet. I think that they just need to basically bite the bullet and know that they are not going to get what they rightfully should for a guy like Eric Carlson. It's just not going to happen. I don't think that they've come to grips with that yet, and I think that's probably the reason that a deal has not happened yet because they're still holding out on the hopes that they're going to get a bigger return when it's just not going to happen. I feel like a team like the Penguins, despite the situation they are with their prospects, the cap, all that, they're probably going to give one of the best offers to San Jose that they're going to see in the league. So I feel like it's probably more of San Jose not really just coming to grips that they are going to have to take whatever deal they can instead of the deal that they want. And that's why nothing has happened, and it's just dead silent right now. Yeah, I mean, really, on the Penguins' front, it seems like we're just kind of waiting. We've I think we're waiting, waiting on that. I think and- Kyle is waiting on them to say yes. I think Kyle probably has the offer in hand. And he's probably just waiting for them to call, and it's because, not changing. And it's just it's just not changing. I I think that he he is prepared to to make the trade. I'm sure Kyle already knows who's going where, what third team he wants to get involved, and in, all that sort of stuff. And he's just kind of sitting there all pretty, waiting for the phone to ring because he knows eventually it's going to ring because San Jose is in a crappy situation heading into the season, like you just just reflected on. I think that the, they know that they can't go into the season with well, Carlson. It's not going to happen. And if they do, like you said, it could go bad. Obviously, I, I, don't, I don't know of any situation in the NHL that we've had like in the NFL where like someone is going to hold out. But mm-hmm. And I don't think Carlson would hold out, but you know he's not going to be happy. And he's going he's, he's gonna to be pissed while he's playing there. So if I'm them, you're just, you just you got to just bite the bullet, take what you can, and then just move on from it. Predictively, I do still think he ends up in Pittsburgh some way, somehow. I think the longer this goes on, though, 
the more it worries me that like other teams are going to get the message that, you know, we should get involved here because it doesn't look like the return is going to be that much anyway. And I know like Kyle's not going to panic, but I'm not Kyle. I'm a fan. And again, do I think this team needs Eric Carlson? Um, Kinda, kinda, <laughs> honestly. I mean, that's been like a yeah. big debate. And, and my only thing yeah. here is, uh, you know, we had Nick Berlansky and Nick Horwath of Tip of the Iceberg on last week. And they were talking about, you know, how they didn't think the Penguins needed Eric Carlson. And I like need can mean a lot of different things. The way that I'm putting it, what's basing my opinion of this is how they've gone about this offseason. They've built a defense first, bottom six. They're running it back seemingly a net. Whether that, you know, I mean, they've obviously added some other guys that could play a role, but Tristan Jari is going to be the main guy mm-hmm. in net. Um, it's been all about defense this offseason. Where's the offense coming from to supplant this? And where is the secondary scoring coming from to support this aging core? I, I can give up a little bit on the back end where, you know, Eric Carlson, obviously not the best defensive player to get what he provides offensively. When you're talking about obviously five V five, second most points, five V five, not among defensemen, second most points last year, five V five amongst anybody. Um, and what he would bring to a power play. I think he would be their best power play player since Phil Kessel. Maybe the power play might actually look good in, instead of the mediocre power play that they've had. I actually have an left. idea. I actually have an idea to do a video um, looking at the Penguins power play with Phil Kessel here, what it's been like without Phil Kessel and then Eric Carlson running the power play both in Ottawa and San Jose and what he could bring to the power play. Because I really think that is the way to unlock this. So I I think just in a a plethora of ways, I, I get he's not the greatest in his own end. I think everything else that he would do to contribute to this team outweighs that. And I also, I said it before, I think he hasn't had a partner that's as good defensively as Marcus Pedersen. I, I agree. And I think that Nick Berlansky last week said that like if they could change the way they play, talking about the Penguins, if they don't acquire Carlson and they could still be more productive than they were last year, but they'd have to change the way to, to the way they play where they are old and boring like the New York Islanders. And that's a valid Ilya point. Is Sorokin in that? <laughs> I mean, because well, not, not just that, but is Mike Sullivan not going to be the coach? Because I just don't see Mike Sullivan coaching a hockey team that way. I, I don't see him coaching a shutdown type of offense. He's still going to want the fast pace of play and playing off of the rush and playing in transition. I And I, and I don't think that the Penguins are going to shy away from that as long as Sullivan is the head coach. So while that is being said, they're not going to change the way they play. You need to supplement that scoring that you're going to be lacking in the bottom end of the bottom of the, the forwards with a guy like Eric Carlson. He's going to be good at five on five, like we just said. He is the second most points five on five last year among all skaters, and he's going to be great on the power play. I, I think that you have to get some more scoring from the blue line if you're not going to get it from your bottom six. And Eric Carlson is the perfect, literally perfect. There's no other more 
There's no player more perfect to get more scoring from your blue line than the one you'd be acquiring that scored 101 points last year on the San Jose freaking Sharks, okay? I I don't think that there's any way about it that they would be a better team. And I I think that they would improve immediately. And there's no other guy like we touched on last week. There's no other guy that you can bring in. I don't even think forward-wise, too. That's that's realistically. Obviously, you can say, like, yeah, we can bring him in with David. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Any realistic option that you can bring in is not going to drive this team offensively like Eric Carson will. So, absolutely, they need to do it. And worst comes to worst, he could come to Pittsburgh on March 14th because that's when the Sharks play here. Um, so, that's, that's the latest he'll be in Pittsburgh. Hopefully, it's way before that. Hopefully, it's in, like, yeah. a couple weeks. Yeah, I, I think the question is do they try to hold on to him until the deadline this upcoming season? I don't see a way that he's, I mean, I would put the odds of him being moved before the season starts. But what if he has a season like he did two years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Or three years ago. Like, like what if he just falls off a cliff from that 101 points, then there's going to be no interest from anybody because no one will want to take the contract on. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they're gonna be literally the sharks have no attaching or things. Literally, the sharks have no control. What this boils down to is the sharks need to let go of their pride and realize that they are not going to get the deal that they want for Eric Carlson and just get rid of him already. And that, I mean, that's where I'm at, but that's why it's also like weird that there's not more teams involved. You know, like it, maybe people, people don't want to take the sh- on the contract. I mean, maybe, even uh, if maybe they retain, it's Carlson, maybe it's you know Carlson saying this is go who i want to play for that that could be the case i mean how many teams can he say he wants to play for eight or yeah but i, I mean i'm not even talking about from like you know a contract clause standpoint i just mean like literally telling teams this is where i want to be that are trying to like inquire yeah that could be the case he could he could hit up kyle on the daily and just be like where's the trade offer <laughs> i'm waiting here yeah uh and then the last i mean we're waiting for uh august 4th so, will we have, yeah, we'll have a show before, yeah, that we'll have a show like the day before that, I think. Yeah, two days. So, that's that's Drew O'Connor, okay, that's Drew O'Connor's um, hearing. So, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out or if anything comes before that or, you know, that opens up that, that buyout window. We've There's a lot of things that could happen with that Drew O'Connor thing. They could obviously agree to something. They it could go all the way to it, and an arbitrator decides what his salary is going to be. His rights could be moved in a deal before then, whether it's for Carlson or something else, maybe to a third team in the Carlson. There's so many things that could happen with this. Um, I really like Drew O'Connor as a player. I do think that we haven't seen you know the upside get tapped into much yet, but I mean, you know, he's not somebody that I'm like, you know, prospect hugging and saying, I can't include this guy in an Eric Carlson deal. I can't even say that, and I also can't say that depending on what happens in arbitration, it does, if it does go all the way to the hearing and yeah. an arbiter does give a number, if the Penguins don't want to play that number, I can't really say that Drew O'Connor is going to be a guy that I would want the Penguins to overpay for either. I mean, what's he got? Like, how many points does he even have? He has less than, like, 20 points in his NHL career, right? I mean, like, I can't see him getting much yeah, but arbitration's weird. It's, it's weird how they value these guys. Do you think he's going to get over, like, one mil? I would think so, honestly. That's crazy. I mean, what? Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not like trying to like pocket watch and say, "Oh, 
kidding me? This guy. It's just like right now what he's done. I just. I I agree fully, but yeah, I think I think arbitration is obviously it's not the same as free agency, but it's kind of the same in a sense of like some of these guys get surprisingly more money than what we think they would be worth. And I don't think that the Penguins should overpay for that. So if it do comes they do to that it point, like with baseball where there's like projections on this, on this stuff. I don't know. I, I have no idea what a projection would be. I was trying to see here if I found anything, but I don't. But I, I do feel like it would be more than $1 million. Um, Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like I don't Probably because Penguins if it to... wasn't, I mean, the Penguins have probably offered him a million. Like I feel like yeah. he probably would have just taken it. Yeah. That's crazy, though. I mean, what what's what are you willing to pay Drew O'Connor? A million. <laughs> yeah, I almost I hope mean, that they come to an agreement of like two years, two million, like one per. Before yeah, him. like I, I just that like we said, year. it was nothing against the guy, but like I just I, I I don't think that Drew O'Connor has shown to me that he's worth really giving more than that. So I am yeah. I. If if they get a deal done, great. I'll be happy, and I'll be happy to see how it works out with Drew O'Connor in a more elevated role, playing more full time at the NHL level. But also, if the deal doesn't get done and he either gets traded or becomes a free agent or trades Rice, whatever happens with him, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it either. So, it is what it is. It could play into. I mean, he had a really good um, World Championship run too. So, like. Does that play into it too? Like, is it not just the NHL season that factors into what a guy's getting? Did he have a good world championship run? I had no idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, he played a big part for Team USA. He had eight points in ten games, three goals, five assists. Yeah, he's getting more than one million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah, at the NHL level, he has, let's see, one, six... 17 points in 68 and 78 games. So, but you're, but you're right that, that, that USA run. I mean, even though that has nothing to do with what you did in the NHL, he is a, shouldn't factor into his arbiter's decision, but that that's going to get him at least one and a half. He is a 0.22 point per game player. I mean, that's a solid (laughs) 2 million a year player. All right. Yeah, we got to stop talking about this. But um, all right, we're going to take another quick break. We're going to wrap up talking about the Pirates trade deadline coming up here very soon. We might have seen the last of some Pirates, or we're going to see the last of them soon. Certainly by the next time that we have an episode, there probably will be some type of movement. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Stay right here. All right, the MLB trade deadline, August 1st, 2023. Um, I look at the Pirates roster right now. Rich Hill, Carlos Santana, G-Man Choi. Some team might have interest in Austin Hedges as a backup just because of you know what he brings from a framing perspective. Um, if they have interest in like, them, they're nerds, okay? absolutely so it came out that the pirates were listening on david bednar and mitch keller and i'm not gonna like okay they should be listening right but 
I don't expect either one to get moved. Certainly not Mitch Keller. I think with David Bednar, as wild as it is to say, that might be the harder one to sell to the fan base. But I don't know where you stand on this. I wouldn't like if you can net something that is at other positions of need that can help you as early as next season. I'm certainly not against moving David Bednar just because he's a closer. He's, you know, giving you and the Pirates have used him for two innings at times, but typically he's a one inning pitcher that on a bad team doesn't serve much purpose. Relievers, although Bednar has been very good for multiple seasons from one season to the next, there's a lot of volatility there with the position. So I could be talked into moving Bednar for the right package. I can't be talked into Mitch Keller. The other guys I just mentioned, you know, sure. I, I like Carlos Santana. I like G-Man Choi's really started to turn it on in a limited number of at-bats. Uh, Rich Hill, what, I mean, he's, he's an innings eater. It's very sad that he's been the Pirates' like third best pitcher this year because he hasn't even pitched that well. It's just a state of the rotation. And then Hedges, obviously, I don't even need to say anything, I don't think, there. But um, where are you at with this? Do you expect what, – what guys that I've mentioned do you expect to still be on the roster? How many do you think are moving? Out of the guys you mentioned, I think that there's a good chance Rich Hill is gone. Um, I think that there's a good chance that G-Man Choi could be gone. And I'm I'm looking at these guys because they have one year contracts. Like they're they're yeah. not guys that are saw, signed for uh, even two years. They're they're guys that if you don't trade them, you're not going to get any value out of them whatsoever. They're going to play out this season and then move on. That's that's most likely what's going to happen. So you get what you can out of them. Um, so I, I think those are the guys hedges. I mean, send him to the freaking sun for all I care. He can go, he can go, uh, frame up there, but you know, I, 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 I think that if he's moved then whatever, the team's an idiot, but when it comes to Bednar, I think the pirates really have to look at what they want to do. Um, next season, if you want to move Bednar or not. If you were, if the Pirates yeah. are serious about thinking that they are going to take the next step and think that Bednar can still be the type of pitcher he's going to be a year from now, then you hang on to him and you hope for the best in 2024. You hope that you're in contention and D- David Bednar could be like your Mark Melanson. If not, then I see no reason not to be at least taking the calls. I mean, you should take calls on anybody, like you said. Like you don't have to say yes. Um, you, you should just at least see what people are offering for any player. But if David Bednar is not going to be on a team that's in contention next year, I think that you need, or at least that was wants to be in contention next year. I think that you should probably try to get the most value out of him. And right now he, he will have a high value. You can probably get a good return for him. And, like you said, we, we've seen it with relievers, especially year to year. There could be such a drop off from what they were the year prior. So you never know what he'll look like next season. And so I think what it, like I said, what it comes down to is what the Pirates really think about what they have in 2024. That's how you should base your decision off um, with with him. Keller, I don't think they should move at all. I think you should still be talking about extending Keller, not trading Keller. Um but yeah, Bednar, that's the more tricky one. I think it really comes down to the Pirates and, and how they think they're going to perform in 2024. What time of kind of team do they want to be? Because if you're going to be winning, then he's a great asset to have. But if you're going to be just more of the same, then 
you might as well move on. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I'm saying like, I think that you, if you're trading him, it's gotta be four pieces that are helping the team still next year. And even then it's like at what positions and also what's that bullpen look like without him? Like, I think you need a bullpen piece, at least one coming back in that deal as well. Yeah. But really tough. I, like, I don't know. I, I, I'd say hopefully maybe like a major lead or close to major lead ready first baseman. I mean, we've been talking about first base for a long time with the pirates. Um, and then, you know, maybe some, some help for the bullpen, maybe a starting pitcher. I, I like, these are the areas that I would probably be looking at if you were moving Bednar. And then it's like, man, what team is giving up that for a closer? But, you know, you never know. That's why it's like, that's what Sherrington should be looking for. Now, whether a team is going to pay it, I don't know. But if you're going to sell, if you're going to trade him, the return's got to be astronomical. I mean, he's got control for, what four seasons still yeah yeah he does have a lot of control um i don't know i'm i'm looking at like what we got whenever the pirates traded melanson and i i, I think you can get more for that too than, than what you yeah. got when you traded for them because fortunately uh, we're not going to mention the name on here but the last yeah. time the pirates had that type of a trade chip in a closer we know the return it. that they were talking about. Yeah, we know the return that they were talking about, though. And it'd be, you know, similar. And that's that. one of the guys that got from Melanson, along with friend of the show, Taylor Hearn. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, it all connects. But I'd, I'd, that's why I think, like, if you're going to do it, then capitalize on it. Because you're going to get a better return than you did for Melanson. And the Melanson tra- trade, I think, at least it, 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 it looked pretty good at the time. And then yeah. you haven't been in the, this position that you could trade a reliever for the past four years. So I think that if you get a good enough offer, like the Pirates could have in 2019 with the Dodgers, um, I think that you gotta you gotta go for it. Um, especially if the team is just going to be complete dog water next year too. I just I wonder if there's another guy in that bullpen that we're not thinking about that could be like a random trade piece. It's like Clay Holmes kind of came out of nowhere to be a trade piece for the Pirates, and obviously, like look at what he ended up going on to do for the Yankees. Like, would someone come calling with a decent price for like a Dari Moretta or you know Colin Holderman potentially? Like, is there somebody else in that bullpen that a team is going to come calling about? There could be. I mean. I feel like there are just random trades that don't seem to make sense, at least to Pirates fans, but then they turn out being okay. Um, it's it's going to be a guy that we're not thinking about. Like, I don't even know. Uh, the, the guy I don't want to trade from that bullpen just recently, like really started to come on, I feel like, is De Los Santos. He looks really good. I, I think that he could be, you know, a late inning guy kind of in the grooming right now. So. He would be the one I'd like to hang on to. I, I mean, you know, if a team's going to come calling about a Moretta or a Holderman and we flip them for more than what we traded for them and Kevin Newman and Daniel Vogelbach, you know, so be it. I like those guys, but it's like, again, bullpen pieces on a bad team and relievers. I don't want to say they're a dime a dozen because they're not, but like, you know, you rebuild bullpens every single year. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Mladzinski, Mladzinski, am I saying that right? Oh, yeah, 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 Cameron Mladzinski. Or Mladzinski? 
apologies, Cameron. Apologies. Um, <laughs> but I mean, he he could he's performed well in the past like month. So he's only, yeah, this is his first time up too. I mean, I don't think he would get moved, but I mean, he'd have like six years of control to whoever he went to. So the value's high right now. Okay, <laughs> he if was he a former first round like comp pick. Oh really? He was yeah. He's Sherrington's first draft pick that made it to the majors. Well, because he was up a little bit before Davis. There you go. Yeah. Congratulations. So yeah, Ben definitely ain't trading him. That's his first guy up. That's a good way of thinking about it. <laughs> He's gonna trade all of Huntington's guys before he can trade his own. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Gotta get them all out of here. Um. I don't think I have anything else. I, I'm with you. I think I'm with you in terms of who I think is going to be out. I don't, I think what we've seen or wait, would he still make one more start? Hill. Let's see. He'll make one more start. I'm not sure if they have an off day that would change. He, I, think, I think he'd, I think he'd start. Okay. Unless they so might have held him out. Well, they, they could move him before deadline day, but yeah. Oh, also. Yeah. They might hold him out anyway. So we might've seen the last start of Rich Hill as a pirate. Uh, what a, also, I think, since, I think been. Santana stays, I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah, that's a tricky one just because like he seems just so already ingrained into what this 2023 club is. You'd almost like to just unless the returns going to be something like he's not worth trading for, in my opinion, for a lottery ticket. Heck, I wouldn't care if they gave him another year, you know, back. I don't know if I want to see him get as many at bats next year, but that also wasn't the plan this year. It's like G-Man Choi got hurt. So Santana had to play a ton more than he was supposed to. Right. So I wouldn't mind if they brought him back another year. I wouldn't either. I think Hill goes. Hill's the only one that I'm like definitively on. Like, I, I think it's Hill for sure. Choi's a pretty good bet, especially because he's come back and hit so well. Like, I think that they could definitely move him for a little bit more than we would have thought. Um, I, Is the name that I we're not, is a name that we're not bringing up because we don't think the Pirates have it in them to break our hearts again, McCutcheon. That's it's not happening. <laughs> imagine, imagine how yeah. pissed everybody would be. Like the the thing about it was, I I don't remember who the first person from like the national media to put it out was, but they were like, it could make sense because then they could just you know re-sign him again in free agency. I first off, like unless you have that handshake agreement, if if I was McCutcheon, I'm not re-signing here again. Like after they do that again, like no way. Right. Right. I'm not, I'm not letting them, you know, pawn me off like this again, just to resign and do them a favor. I'm, I, I don't see a way that it happens. I don't either. I just figured I'd bring it up because <laughs> yeah. just imagine the backlash. I mean, I mean there was even think, one article. You think the backlash is bad whenever you're just performing bad. I'm, ben Sherrington's never traded Andrew McCutcheon. He should see the backlash then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, like he'll probably get death. I mean, if that happens, we got we got Brian Reynolds out of that deal. And there are still some people that are like, I don't even care. I, I don't think they should have ever <laughs> traded Andrew McCutcheon. Right, right. Oh, so, man. Sorry. Right. That would That's... be so funny, though. Um, But yeah, no, I, I agree. Pat, McCutcheon, in my opinion, and even though like his batting average has dipped a little bit over the past like month or two, like his on base is still around like 375, 380. So, yeah. Um. I I am still in the camp of McCutcheon can be on this team as long as he wants until he retires. I don't really care at that point. I'm with you. All right. Anything else? 
I don't think so. Make the damn trade, Kyle. Pick up the phone. Yep. I We keep saying it, thinking that the next time that we talk, it's going to be done, but hasn't happened. So the next time we do talk, though, it will be in August. So this is the last show of July. So August, well, really exciting month. Almost on our of... anniversary mark. So yeah, true. It'll be less than a month away. And I made the prediction on July 10th that Eric Carlson would be a penguin, and we're two and a half weeks out from that. So pick up the phone, Kyle. We'll <laughs> leave it at that. Uh, all right. Well, we will see you guys in August. Uh, of course, as Tyler mentioned at the beginning of the show, please take a look at those links in the description. Check them out. The GoFundMe is set up for year six of Rock Around the 412. We've raised $25,000 in the first five years of doing so. We're really excited to partner up with the Salvation Army of East Rochester, PA, and help them out with their angel tree as well uh, as giving back to the families like we always do. So that link is live. You guys can donate. Please share. Get as many eyes and ears as you can on it. Shout out to Haley and everything custom design. She's actually working on two shirts for me right now, a custom Henry Davis shirt and an Alex Highsmith shirt. So when I get those, I'll be rocking them on here, and you guys can see the work that she does. Um, you have something else? As of most of you listening to this, we are a week away from the Hall of Fame game, which means we are oh, yeah. a week away from having football from now until February. Yeah, Cleveland and the Jets, right? That's the Hall of Fame game. Really weird. That is. I mean, I don't play, I don't even know if I actually know. I'm a football junkie. I'm going to watch it, but <laughs> I'll at least start out watching it, like for sure. We'll see how much Does I Aaron Rodgers take a snap? No. Uh, that means new team, to, new offense. He might. He might. He might. Who knows? He's a wild card. Aaron Rodgers is also. A wild card. I feel like Salah's like that type of coach where he's like, "Yeah, my guys are gonna play. They're gonna play and they'll play like a drive." So, like, yeah. I, well, I feel if you like do that, kind of like then a- Sean Sweezum's gonna tear his ACL. <laughs> I feel like he's kind of of that like same Dan Campbell type you know mold how wild is it the nfl last year's nfl rushing leader josh jacobs was playing like the fourth quarter of the hall of fame game last year and everyone thought like something was going on with the raiders and he was gonna end up like getting traded or cut or something i remember like that was like a huge talking point and then he ended up leading the lead in rushing and now he's not with the raiders because he's holding out because of the running back situation but neither here nor there um again check out the links in the description of course, subscribe, leave us a like, leave us a comment. Helps us out a ton. Help us grow. Help the channel grow. Appreciate you guys. Follow us everywhere. Uh, until next week, like I said, we'll see you guys in August. Bye-bye.